We're going to talk about a topic uh, this evening that uh, is, uh, it's an old topic, but uh, in many ways it's making a comeback, and I know probably some of our young people have never heard about it, so we're going to talk about it for a little while uh, this evening. You ever heard of the rapture theory? This is a, a topic that's taught widely among many denominations. Not every denomination, but many denominations. Uh, it's, a, it's very prevalent uh, among many of the denominations that are close to us. And there are, are many branches of this. You have your pre-tribulation rapture. You have your mid-tribulation rapture. You have your post-tribulation rapture. You have your thousand millennium. You have your seven years tribulation. So there's many offshoots of this one topic. And we don't have time, near enough time, to exhaust this study this evening. So I'm going to just pick one group. And we're going to kind of try to consider that for a little while this evening. We're going to try to look at some of, of what they claim is uh, the foundation for this doctrine. And we're going to see if it... If it uh, meets the Bible criteria that we find in the Bible. So what is the, the rapture theory? Well, just to try to simplify it as much as we can, those who believe this theory, theory believe that the church will be raptured or caught up away to heaven and that the earth will continue for a period of seven years called the tribulation in which the inhabitants of the earth will be thrown into a time of great trouble or tribulation and strife more even now, more even then than now so. And according to this teach, te teaching, there is a separation to take place between the saved and the lost before the end of the world. Now, like I said, it's a big topic, and there's a lot more to it than just that, but that in a nutshell is, is a simplified version of it. In this teaching, we're also told that Christ will return in two phases. That's something new. We always expected Christ to return at the second coming of Christ, the first time being when he was sacrificed upon the cross and that he would return again. But this group believes that uh, Christ will return in two phases. The first phase will be a quiet coming. Not everybody will know about it. It will just happen in secret and uh, some will be taken away, the saints will be taken away, raptured away, and then the second phase will come some seven years later, after the tribulation, and that will be the glorious, triumphant return of Christ to the earth. And then that will usher in the, the thousand-year millennium, which we don't have time to go into all of that uh, this evening. But it's this, this uh, topic that I want to discuss with you for a little bit. Well, where did this theory come from? Well, in the 17th or in the 18th century, the, the 1700s, a man or two brothers called Increase Mather and Cotton Mather, to the best of my knowledge, began to teach this this theory, and then it was furthered uh, by John Nelson Darby in the eight, uh, 1800s, about 1830. He began to teach this extensively. And then a man in the 20th century named C.I. Schofield, who came up with the Schofield uh, Reference Bible, began to teach this very extensively, and he furthered it greatly in the United States. 
Well, that was a long time ago, but more recently, in the 1970s, you may remember the name Hal Lindsey. Hal Lindsey wrote a book, The Late Great Planet Earth. And in that book, he touted this theory of the rapture. But that wasn't the end of it either. Just more recently, in 1997, two men named Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins wrote a book called Left Behind. In 2014, that book was made into a movie. And it touts this theory of the rapture. So that's just a little background of the history of where this comes from. My, my first question for you this evening is, why did we not hear about this until the 1700s? If this theory has been around since time began, since Jesus instituted the church, why did we not hear about it until the 1700s? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? <clears throat> We're going to predominantly discuss this evening this pre-tribulation rapture theology. <clears throat> I picked out two things that these folks talk about the most. First of all, they say that the rapture is the blessed hope, while the second coming, I told you it would happen in two phases, the second coming is a day greatly to be feared. And here's the scriptures that they take this, this idea from. Titus 2 and 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. They say this is the rapture. This blessed hope. Also in the Old Testament in Amos 5 and 18. The Bible says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. They say this is the second coming of Christ. They believe that this is two different events. One is to be hoped for. One is to be dreaded. But let me ask you a question. Do they not miss the whole meaning of the return of Christ? Do they not fail to re realize the simple truth of the matter that to Christians, that day when Christ is returned, that's going to be the blessed hope. To those who are lost, it's going to be a day greatly to be feared. That's just simply logic and truth. The second coming of Christ is going to be both of these things. It's not going to be two separate events. The second thing they propose is that in the rapture, Jesus comes for his church and he takes his church back to heaven with him. At his second coming, he brings the church back with him. Now, that's very interesting. Let's think about that a little bit. First thing I want to tell you right here is that the word rapture does not appear in any or very many translations of the Bible. I didn't have time to look at all of them. If you look up the translations of the Bible, there are thousands of them. King James, New King James, NIV, American Standard, English Standard, even Darby's Bible does not use the word rapture. Does not use it at all. The Schofield Reference Bible references it in the footnotes. The Amplified Bible also references the word rapture in the footnotes. But where they take this from is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. So let's look at this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord. Caught up, they say, is the rapture. Really? Well, let's look at this phrase for a second. Harpazo. To seize in various applications, to catch away, pluck, pull, take by force. Now what is there in that definition that indicates that we're looking at two different events for Christ's return? Absolutely nothing. This definition very well fits what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4. That we would be caught up to meet Christ in the air. <clears throat> then they say that Jesus coming back with the church in his second coming. And they quote Revelations chapter 19 and verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. But you see we have a problem here. Revelations just tells us that these armies are coming with Christ. Matthew in Matthew chapter 25 was a little more specific than that. And he told us exactly who those armies were. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and with all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That's not the church. That's the angels coming back with the Lord at his second coming. But they say, what about 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14? Surely it's talking about the church coming back from heaven. Well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14. The Bible says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Surely that means the church, right? No. That's not what it means. Rapture promoters love this verse. But they completely missed the context of what's being said here. Let's back up and let's look at verse 13. What did Paul say? But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. That's an interesting phrase. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be deceived. He wants us to understand fully what's about to happen here. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Concerning the dead in Christ. He says that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. It's not the church. You see, Paul was clearly talking about the dead in Christ here. He was clearly talking about those who were in their graves awaiting the return of Christ. And what does he say? He gives encouragement to the rest of us. And he says concerning them that Jesus will raise them, that God will raise them from the dead just like he did Jesus. Those that sleep in Jesus will be raised back to life just like Jesus was. Remember what 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 said? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see, the theory of the rapture is false. And the Bible tells us it's false. Consider John, the 17th chapter and 15th verse of Scripture I'd never thought about pertaining to this topic. 
But look at it. Jesus is praying to the Father here, and he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Now what do the rapture theorists tell us? That we're going to be taken out of the world. Jesus said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. You see, the theory fails. A scripture that I believe destroys this, this uh, theory in one reading is found in Matthew chapter 13. In this chapter, Jesus Christ is telling a, a parable and teaching a lesson concerning the events of the last day and of the end of the world. Now let's look at what he says, Matthew 13 and verse 24. Jesus writing here says, And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto them, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Verse 28, and he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou that we go and gather them up? Wilt thou go, wilt thou that we go and gather them? Do you want us to go pull up the tares, Master? What does Jesus say? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in the bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Don't you just love the word of God? It makes it so clear to us. We don't have to second guess what he's telling us here. He tells us exactly what he means. So what are we told by the pre-tribulation rapture theory? We're told that Christ will gather his people before the tribulation, and separate the wheat from the tares before the harvest. What did Jesus say? At the harvest. Leave them both alone until the harvest. And then I'll, we'll gather them together. We'll separate one from the other. The tares will be burned up and destroyed. And the wheat will be gathered into my barn. Oh, but they say the harvest is the rapture. The harvest is the rapture. Okay? So according to those who hold to this, this theory, the harvest takes place before the tribulation and before the end of the world. This is clearly what they believe because they say that the world's going to continue for seven years after this rapture and then another thousand years after that. So that's clearly what they believe, that the world will continue. Let's back up a little bit or go, go on forward, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 13, because you see Jesus didn't just give us this parable, he also told us what it meant. Beginning in verse 38, he says, The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that, has sowed, that sowed them is the devil. The harvest Jesus says, is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. You see, we don't have to wonder what Jesus meant. He explains it to us. This harvest 
is the end of the world. That's when this separation takes place. Not before, not seven years before then. It takes place at the end of the world. I hope you, if you don't get anything else out of this study this evening, I want you to remember this. The rapture theory teaches that separation will be before the end of the world. The Bible teaches that separation will be at the end of the world. It's just that simple. Just that simple. Consider John 6 and verse 40. The Bible says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 11 and 24, Martha saith unto him at the death of Lazarus, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. John 12 and 48, He that rejecteth me receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Eternal life is given in the last day. The resurrection is at the last day. Judgment will be at the last day. That's not what the rapture theory says. Notice also what Jesus says in Matthew 28 verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now why would Jesus reassure his disciples and Christians by extension that he would be with them until the end of the world if there were some rapture that was going to take them away seven years before the end of the world. Makes no sense, does it? Doesn't make any sense. It's a false doctrine invented by Satan. Perusia and apocalypsis. Now don't worry about those words because they're Greek words. They're not English words. But these are two words that this theory uses to distinguish what they say distinguishes between the rapture and the end of the world. Perusia, they say, refers to the secret coming of Jesus with the rapturing of the church and that the Greek word apocalypsis refers to the visible, glorious coming of our Lord seven years later. So they believe that from... From these Greek words that Christ will return in two phases, separated by a period of, of seven years. Well, we've already proven that there will be no separation, no time lapse between separations. But let's look at these words for just a minute and see what we can learn. Perusia, they say, refers to the secret coming of Jesus, the rapturing of Christians. Well, let's look at the definition. A being near that is advent, often return, specifically of Christ to punish Jerusalem, or finally the wicked. Now, I thought that was interesting. By implication, physical aspect, coming presence. The coming and the presence are the two that we, we will consider because that's what they say uh, the, the rapture will be. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15 says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. This word coming is parousia. That's the word. And in this, this situation they say that this is the rapture. 
But the problem is that Paul uses this word in a different way. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, Paul said, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Same Greek word. And here it is very, very obvious that Paul is speaking about the end of the world because he says the wicked is going to be destroyed. They're going to be consumed. The spirit of his mouth, the brightness of his coming will destroy these wicked things. It's obviously the end of the world, but Paul here is using the same word. Well, they say of Apocalypsis that it refers to the visible, glorious coming of Jesus with fire seven years after the fact. Apocalypsis, appearing, coming, Latin, manifestation, be revelations. But we have another problem. Apocalypsis is used by Peter in a way that indicates that it's not a separate coming. That it's not a separate event at all. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and 13, Wherefore, gird up your loins, of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is apocalypsis. Now, why would Christians be admonished to hope to the end of the grace that is brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ if their hope is going to be realized seven years before this fact? Let me say that again. The rapture theorists believe that they are going to be raptured away to heaven seven years before this revelation. But here, Peter says, to gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end of this time. Why would you hope to the end of this time if your hope is realized seven years before this time? So why are these two Greek words used? And it's really quite simple. As we saw there, parousia is presence, a visible return. We know that's going to be right. We're all going to know when Jesus Christ returns. It's not going to be a secret. It's not going to be in secret. It's not going to be a quiet event. We're going to know. It's going to be very visible. Apocalypsis means to be to reveal, a revealing of the truth. So to turn these two words into two different events just doesn't make sense. The fact is they are one event. The physical, visible, loud, fiery return of Jesus Christ when when Jesus and the truth will be revealed. It's going to be very visible and it's going to be very revealing to us. We're going to realize all the things that we've been taught in the Bible all our lives are going to come to an end. All those things are going to be revealed to us. But they continue on and they say, well, Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. Well, who's he coming for? Verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. And I put this up here because I want you to realize who Paul is talking to. He's talking to brethren. He's talking to Christians. 
And he says of them, you have no need that I write it to you. Why? Because you already understand what's going to happen. But then he continues on in verses 2 through 5. And he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Brethren, you know that this is what's going to happen. But you don't. You know who doesn't know? For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. He's not talking. To, he's not talking about brethren. He's talking to brethren, but he's not talking about brethren. He's talking about those who are unrighteous. They shall think they're safe, peace and safety. No problem. Sudden destruction will come upon them and they will not escape. That's like a thief in the night. The Lord is coming as a thief in the night for the wicked. That's who he's coming for, as a thief in the night. Not the righteous. The righteous understand that he's coming. The righteous are preparing for his coming. The righteous expect his coming, but the wicked don't. If we continue on in verses 4 and 5, we find, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. You understand. You're not deceived. You're not in darkness. That that day should overtake you like a thief. What's he saying? That day is not going to overtake you like a thief because you expect it. You know it's coming. You are the children of light and the children of the day. You're not of the night nor of darkness. These things become so clear when we put them in context. They become so easy to understand. This thought ties in perfectly with the parable of the tares. The lost are gathered first, and then the righteous will be taken away to be reunited with those who have died in Christ, those who are asleep in Christ, and then will be taken to heaven. Paul confirms Now in 1 Thessalonians 5, that the saints won't be overtaken. They won't be overtaken as a thief in the night because the saints will be watching and waiting for the Lord. So what does happen at the end of the world? For Jesus to use this phrase, the end of the world, something, it must be a pretty pretty radical event. Some destructive force must be going to take place for Jesus to use the term the end of the world. So what event is coming that would be the end of the world? The only event that the Bible talks about is the second coming of Christ. Look at the following Bible verses describing the second coming and let's see what we find. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sounds like an end of the world event, doesn't it? The destroying force of the second coming of Christ will leave nothing left. The world as we know it 
will not continue to exist. But the rapture theorists say it will continue. That when Christ comes back and raptures his saints away to heaven, that the earth will continue for a period of time. Maybe in a worse condition than it was, but it will continue on. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. One of the favorite studies of these theorists is found in Matthew 24. What about the one taken and the one left? And I'm going to tell you right up front, I've, I've read these scriptures a lot, and whether this is a continuation, I believe most of Matthew 24 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And whether these scriptures that we're going to read here shortly is a continuation of that, or whether these scriptures are talking about the literal end of the world and the second coming of Jesus, I really don't know. But I tell you what I do know, it's not a rapture. And I'll show you why. Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41 says, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. To those who hold to this theory, they believe that this is a picture of the rapture. Luke says, in Luke 17, 34, I tell you that in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And I will agree with you, that sounds kind of different. We don't read anything else like that in the scriptures. So one might say, well, that does seem like that's kind of a secret event, you know. Two people in one bed, and one's taken, and the other's left. That seems like kind of a secret event, doesn't it? And that's what they say. But the problem is, again, they're not taking the scriptures in context. If we'll back up just a little bit to verses 37 and 39, we see the context. Matthew writes here, But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those, the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Verse 39, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now let's read uh, Luke's account and back up a few verses to Luke 17, 26 through 29. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They, had, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they brought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And then in the conclusion in Matthew uh, 24 and verse 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And then Luke's ending in verse, uh, chapter 17 and verse 30, Even thus shall it be at the end, at the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So what do we learn here? We learn that we've got to back up and consider Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? Well, the flood came. What did the flood do? The flood washed away everything that was wicked, 
And he left righteous Noah and his family right where they were. Luke adds Lot. What happened in the day of Lot? Well, the Bible says that Lot and his two daughters were taken out of the city and the rest of the city was destroyed. Now, think about this. What does the rapture theory tell us? The rapture theory tells us that Jesus is going to come back and take the church to heaven and it's going to leave all the wicked. Is that what happened in the days of Noah? Is that what happened in the days of Lot? It's exactly the opposite of what happened. You see, whether it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or talking about the end of the world, whatever this was, was going to be the same thing as happened in the days of Noah and happened in the days of Lot. And in those days, the, the wicked were destroyed and the righteous were saved. Exactly the opposite of what the rapture theory tells us is going to happen. So what does it mean to be caught up with the Lord in the air? This is where we started. This is what they hang everything on. First Thessalonians 4 and 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It means exactly what it says. Those who hold to the rapture theory just try to get something out of this scripture that's not there. They simply try to read something into it. The truth is, when Jesus returns at his second coming, the wicked will be destroyed. They'll be judged and destroyed and cast into hell. The saints, the dead saints, will be resurrected. And then any that are alive and remain that are Saints as well will be caught up in the air to meet them and to meet the Lord and will be taken away to heaven. It's not very difficult. It's not very hard. The Bible says, and so shall we be with the Lord. That's the end of time. That's the end of the world. <clears throat> what does it matter? I mean... The church today says that you must be prepared. It's so vital that you're prepared to meet the Lord. Now on the surface, the, the rapture theorist would say the same thing. We have to be prepared to meet the Lord. So what's the problem with this, with this theory? The danger of this theory is that they believe that you'll be taken away before any tribulation, before any hard times, before things get difficult. And we're never promised any such event. We're never promised that we're not going to have to endure. In fact, right the opposite, we're told that we must endure to the end of our days, whether that's the coming of the Lord or the end of our life. We're told that we have to endure until that end. But the, those who hold to the rapture theory say, no, you're not going to have to endure tribulation. You're going to be taken away. You won't have to face it. You won't have to worry about it. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Now, that may not be a very comforting thought, but that's what we're told. That's what, what, we, what we should expect. And I would admonish you today to put your faith and trust in the Lord. 